0: Well, you get the second string today, but uh, it's a privilege to be up here to teach the Word of God and and to share it with you. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to be reading verses 17 to 24. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as Lord has, as God has called, each in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches, was a man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able to become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each of us is to remain with God in that condition in which He was called. You may be seated. I'm not going to ask the question for you to raise your hands this morning, but you might ask yourselves, am I content with life? Am I content with my life? Am I satisfied? Am I finding fulfillment? Most people think that if they could just change something in their life, they would be happy and fulfilled. Uh, some would say, if I just had more money or a bigger house or a better job or a better boss. Some would say, if I was just had just been born in a different family under different circumstances. Others will say, if I could change my gender, then I would be content, then I would be happy. While others say, well, if I could just change the country to be what I think it should be, then I could be happy, but not until. Some say, well, if I could just get married, I would find fulfillment. Well, there are others who say, if I could just get rid of my spouse, then I would be happy. We have those who say, you know, when I retire, then I can really be contented. But there are those who are retired who say, my goodness, I miss the camaraderie of of the other people at the office. I miss miss the companionship. I miss a sense of fulfillment, of of being useful. And now that I'm retired, I feel so useless. I feel so lonely. I wish I had purpose in my life. God did not make us to be the same or place us in the same circumstances. God has designed us to be different. If you haven't noticed, He made us of different sizes, shapes, and colors. God made us of two different genders. There are males and there are females. God has given each of us different abilities and different gifts. God has uh, given each of us various weaknesses and limitations. We come from different cultures and backgrounds. God has made us differently, and He's assigned us to roles in life that are different. Our passage this morning encourages us three times to be content being the person God has made you to be. In fact, in chapter 7, four times it tells us to remain in that condition in which we find ourselves. That doesn't mean that you can't change anything, but it does mean that you need to consider uh, blooming where you're planted, Some Christians in the church at Corinth were discontent with their lives. As we've already seen in chapter 7, some wanted to change their marital status. Some wanted to be married and some wanted to be free from their marriage. This morning we're going to see that some want to change their racial and cultural identity. Uh, Some of the Jews thought that the Gentiles should look and act like Jews. Other Jews wanted to look and act like Gentiles. Some of the slaves wanted to be free. In fact, probably most if not all of them. Our passage this morning repeats the same message three times in the same way. Be content being the person God has called you to be. Be content in serving God in the context in which he has placed you. So let's take a look again starting at verse 17. He says, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk, and so I direct all the churches. Then he goes on into a specific instance. Was a man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in the condition in which he was called. The church at Corinth was a cosmopolitan city. It was a major trade city, a fairly large city, and people from all various nations of the region crossed through there in their business and their trade. We see that there were many nationalities and many races found in the church at Corinth from all over the Middle East and beyond, from Europe. And so we see that uh, you have a grouping of various of people of various cultures, of various backgrounds, of different races, uh, uh, coming with uh, a wide variety of thoughts and ideas. And we see here that uh, the major issue, believe it or not, was circumcision. There were Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians. That means the non-Jews. Uh, to the Jews, they most had their children circumcised shortly after birth. God had given circumcision to Abraham in the, as a sign of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 17. Some of the Jewish Christians were teaching that to be truly spiritual, Christians needed to be circumcised or take on the Jewish dietary customs and cultural rituals, perhaps even to be saved. On the other hand, Circumcision was considered an embarrassment in the Gentile community. In the Roman world of public baths and gymnasiums where men often went around unclothed. It was very easy to see that the Jews were different. And to many Jews it was an embarrassment. They wanted to fit into the culture. So uh, several of the ancient writers tell us that many Jews were undergoing a type of surgery that made it look like they'd never been circumcised. And so we have all this confusion going on. Are we to be, as Gentiles, living like Jews? As Jews, should we live like Gentiles? As, uh, is it, how, how do we relate on these cultural differences? Paul gives the answer in verse 19. He says, basically, circumcision is irrelevant. He says their circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God. When Christ instituted the new covenant, the old religious rituals and dietary restrictions and circumcision were no longer necessary for God's people. We see in the book of Galatians chapter 5, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. In Colossians it says, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, things which were mere shadows of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, as Christians, religious symbols and cultural expectations are irrelevant in the church of God. And so we have much ado, about very little. And... Uh, The lesson here is is simple. Remain in the condition in which you were called, verse 20. Lesson, the first lesson in this passage is that we need to accept being the person God has made you to be. Accept the person God has made you to be. Don't be ashamed of your race or of your cultural heritage. And don't think everyone has to be just like you. Of course, if the issues are contrary to Scripture, then we need to to change. But other than that, we need not worry about it. What's more, don't be concerned about your abilities or disabilities. God has made each of us differently. We have different physical gifts, and we have physical limitations. There are mental; those who are mentally sharper than others. And he says, don't be ashamed of being who you are. Maybe school was harder for you maybe school was a breeze god made you the way you are and has placed you where he wants you john chapter 9 is is uh, one of my favorite chapters in the bible related to this Uh, jesus and his disciples were going along and they saw a man who had been born blind from birth he couldn't see he couldn't work in the in the culture he was a beggar Here's a man who we don't know how old he is, but obviously he's a man, so he'd undergone this condition all of his life. And his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Um, they assume there could be interuteral sin, I guess. I don't know. But anyhow, uh, they said, who, who sinned? This man or his parents that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered and said, It was neither this man sinned nor his parents. No, other words, God's not parent, punishing his parents by giving this son who can't see. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Not only do we see the his marvelous uh, privilege of being healed by Jesus and being able to see, but the rest of the chapter we see how God used him as a testimony to those uh, in the area, that he became a witness for Jesus, and in his situation is recorded and has been carried down through history, so that you and I are even talking about him this morning. This limitation, what we would call a birth defect or a disability or a handicap or whatever unpolitically correct term you want to use, uh, this this circumstance, this situation, was by divine design. God gave him this limitation so that ultimately he might bring glory to God. The same may be true of certain weaknesses that you have, and we'll talk about some of those a little later. God made you the way you are as the context in which he wanted you to serve. Don't be ashamed. Don't pretend to be someone you're not. Be content being the person God called you to be. Be content serving God in the context in which he has placed you. Starting in verse 21, we see a little more difficult situation. Um, We see the issue of slavery. And he starts in verse 21. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you were able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. In the first century, a large percentage of uh, the population were slaves. In fact, in Rome itself, uh, it's been estimated that between 35 and 40% of the people in the city were slaves. They were used for everything, not just household slaves, they were used for all kinds of difficult manual labor, and uh, even as galley slaves. But though 35 to 40 percent of the population as a whole was comprised of slaves, the, the percentage of Christians who were slaves which was much higher than that. Christianity initially spread among the slave population, and uh, Paul is not here condoning slavery, but he's encouraging those who were slaves not to worry about it. Look at verse 21. Don't worry about your station in life. What he's saying is you may be in a difficult circumstance in life, but don't become bitter. Don't become angry. Don't become resentful about the cultural injustice in which you find yourself. Recognize that God can use you where you are. He says if you're able to become free, that's great. Fantastic. Become free. Indentured slaves became free after the contract was fulfilled. They would uh, engage in a contract that would say, for, I'll work for seven years if you will um, do this for me. In fact, a large percentage of my Irish ancestry came over as indentured servants. That is, during the Irish potato famine of the 1840s, about two million Irishmen starved. And uh, the rest were trying to get out of there, including some of my relatives. They signed on as indentured servants or indentured slaves, and they came across, and then they were required to serve the people who brought them over for a certain period of time, and they were treated very, very roughly. Uh, Black slavery was still a part of the country at the time, but oftentimes for the difficult jobs and toward the end of their term, uh, it was the Irish that they'd put in their digging uh, mines and digging tunnels and doing all kinds of things that were dangerous because, after all, their service was about to end, and and and, uh, and so they weren't as valuable as the black slaves. And so this has been a problem. Uh, there were indentured slaves. You could become an indentured slave if you got in debt and could not pay off your debts. Um And so, therefore, you had to work for the person until you paid him off. There were also what we call captured slaves, and those slaves were slaves for life, unless they were freed by their masters or they could somehow uh, work on the side and and come up with enough money to buy their own freedom. And uh, that not only could happen back in the Roman world, I was shocked this week as I looked a number of places and came up with a number I hadn't realized was true. During the 1860 census of the United States, 1860, prior to the Civil War, during the 1860 uh, census of the United States, there were 488,070 free blacks living in the United States. What shocked me even more was that over half of them lived in the South. Even more shocking, about 3,000 of those freed blacks owned slaves. In fact, one of them in, in uh, Louisiana was known as one of the more cruel slave masters. It's tragic. It's terrible testimony to human nature. But the fact is, a slave could become free. A, a slave could become free. And uh, that, what he's saying here in First Corinthians, if you can become free, become free. In the meantime, represent Christ the best you can in the circumstances in which you find yourself. Or as we've said already, bloom where you're planted. Wherever life has taken you, God is sovereign. In verse 22, he says, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. What does that mean? He says, Even though you may be a slave to men, in Christ you are free. What are we free from? Well, you're free from the penalty of sin. That is, your sins are forgiven and you become a child of God. You're free from the power of sin. That is, you no longer have to be enslaved to your own lust because by the Spirit of God you can be delivered from those sinful passions that drive you. He says not only that, you're free from Satan's dominion in your life. You belong to Christ. But he goes on there and says something else. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. What he's saying is, though you may not be a slave in human terms, when we come to Christ, we belong to him. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And what is that price? In first. Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it says that price is the precious blood of Christ. He paid a high price to deliver you from sin and death. He paid a high price to make you his own. He paid a high price to call you as his own son. He's made you a part of his family. He goes on and says in verse 23, the end, he says, Do not become slaves of men. And he says, that, that's ridiculous. Who in the world would become a slave of people? What is this talking about? Well, as we talked about earlier, the indentured servants, or yeah, criminal even for that matter, you could become a slave as a result of criminal activity. You could become a slave for, through unpaid debt. And, or you could volunteer to become an indentured servant. And he says, not a good idea. Not a good idea. Don't become a slave of men. Verse uh, 24. Brethren, each one is to, be, to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. He's saying in general, by the way, this is the, uh, is this the third or the fourth time in chapter 7 that he says Remain. 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 And he's not saying you can't make a change, but he's saying don't be too excited about making a change. Be the person God has made you to be and bloom in the, in, in the place that he has planted you. In other words, represent him well. Be God's servant. Um, the lesson here, and it's the big idea of the whole passage, serve God as a person he made you to be In the context in which he has placed you. He's saying recognize your place as a divine calling. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is imprisoned. And he writes this. He says in Philippians 4, 22, All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. Well, who in the world were the saints in Caesar's household? It didn't begin with the nobility. The nobility bought slaves. The nobility captured slaves. And they brought them in as household servants. And Some of these household servants were Christians. And just like Joseph, they said, could, could have said, You know, this is unfair. I shouldn't be here. And yet God used Joseph to impact Pharaoh's household. God used early first century slaves to impact Caesar's household. We're told that there were certain members of the nobility that did come to Christ as a result of the testimony of slaves. God used them mightily, just like he used the man born blind. What what we're seeing here is that God has made you God has given you strengths and limitations, and God has put you within a certain context. It may not be a context that you had chosen. It may be a context where you spent a lot of time in the hospital. It may be a context in which you spend time in a nursing home. Be the flower God called you to be. Bloom in the place where you were planted. Well, there are several lessons of contentment found here and elsewhere in the New Testament. I just want to go through those uh, this morning. The first lesson on contentment is this. Contentment involves accepting that you are in the place God has called, uh, has called you. Philippians chapter 4 is an interesting passage. The Apostle Paul was in prison under a corrupt government on trumped-up charges while in prison, facing possible death sentence, later he would be executed, he writes in Philippians chapter 4, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly, rejoice, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry both of having an abundance and of suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is rejoicing in a Roman prison. Now you've got to understand these weren't country club prisons. They were dank holes. They stunk. The food was lousy. They were in a situation where where it was extremely uncomfortable. They didn't have... Soft beds. Likely they slept on hard rock. And Paul is saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. And then he ends up, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he is saying is, in whatever circumstance God has called me, I can rejoice because he gives me the ability to handle it, to thrive to minister for Him. I can do all things regardless of the circumstances because of Christ who strengthens me. Now remember, this means Christians, we can thrive and we can rejoice in a democracy or in a dictatorship. We can thrive and rejoice living under a corrupt government or in an immoral society just as much as we can Living in the ideal. A lot of people think, you know, I can't rejoice. I can't be happy unless the country's changed. Well, there's some sad things that needs to be. So did Paul's world. So did the world of the slaves. Well, I can't, I can't, I can't live within a society that's, that's so corrupt and immoral. It's sad. It's un, it doesn't please God. But, you know, we can bloom where we are planted. God has given you your own unique circumstances. He's given you your own strengths. He's given you your own limitations. You can serve him in the particular sphere in which he has placed you. A number of many years ago, I had a college student. His name was Keith. Now, Keith was a little slow intellectually. Uh, Keith was not the average college student. It took him a long time. It was hard for Keith to learn. And uh, he was there many years just working his way through college. It would have been better if somebody had recommended skilled labor for him or something, but he felt he had to go to college. And so he finally graduated and went off to another city for a job. I think he graduated in business. I can't remember for sure. But anyhow, about 10 years later, Keith comes back to the church. and I hadn't seen him in 10 years, hadn't heard from him in 10 years. And he comes up and says, hey, Keith, how are things going? What are you doing? He says, I'm working as a busboy. For those who don't know what a busboy is, a busboy is one who clears tables in a restaurant or in a cafeteria. Here's a college graduate who's working as a busboy. But guess what? Keith was excited. He said, I really like it. I get to talk to people. I get to share my faith. He says, I love it. Keith had some limitations. But Keith was blooming where he was planted. And God was using Keith as a busboy. On the other hand, I have a grandson who has Asperger's syndrome. He is extremely smart academically. Very, very gifted. But he is socially challenged. He is not a social butterfly. He will never be a social butterfly. He's going to be a senior in college this year. People like my grandson make great research scientists. They make good theoretical scientists. They're great in in computer sciences and dealing with uh, computer security and other things. He can do a lot of things, but he's never going to be a salesman. He's never going to be Mr. Personality. You're never going to see him on television uh, entertaining you. I'm, I'm grateful for how far he's come, but... That's not who God made him to be. It's interesting at college, he's found some friends who are like him. And we affectionately, and I emphasize affectionately, call them the nerd herd. (laughs) Okay. My grandson knows Christ. My grandson is smart. He talks on their level. And he's going to be able to, he's ministering to people that I will never be able to minister to. My grandson is the person God made him to be, blooming in the place God has planted him. And I praise God for my grandson. It's neat to see him work. Contentment involves accepting that you're in the place that God has called you. Number two, contentment is not found in changed circumstances, but in seeing God at work in your circumstances. We tend to think, if I could just change this circumstance, if I could just get a different job, if I could just... just, um, get a different boss, if I could just, whatever. If I just didn't have this spouse that I'm married to, and we could go on. We think if we can change our circumstances, we will be happy. Change circumstances do not produce contentment. The Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12 says that he, he was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, and, uh, he says, of which I entreated the Lord three times. He says, God, this, this thorn in the flesh, which there's a lot of speculation on what it is, and I can give you all of them, but that's not the point. Paul had this problem. Paul had this limitation. Paul had this problem in his life. And he, and he prayed to God three times, and here's God's answer. He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. I'm well content with weaknesses. We had a guy in the church in Pocatello who's with us. He's still there, but we call him the atomic dwarf. And there's several reasons. He he was a wrestler, and he had a build on him, but he was short. But the reason we called him the Atomic Dwarf, and he went by that name, he wore shirts with that on it, was because he was a uh, nuclear reactor operator on nuclear subs, and that was what he did in life. Sharp guy, smart guy. And uh, Randy loved to ride a motorcycle. And he rode, he'd go to Sturgis regularly with a group, and... and, uh, He was uh, a good biker. Anyhow, one day a few years ago, Randy was riding with some friends, and the front tire of his motorcycle hit some gravel. Randy went over the top of his motorcycle and uh, broke his back. He's paralyzed from the waist down, has no feeling from the waist down. Randy was a very active guy. A very go-getter type guy. And uh, I was just sure that this would be devastating. He'd be angry. He would be uh, discouraged, depressed. Uh, I was concerned how Randy would respond to this. And I went and visited Randy in the hospital and he's adjusted. And I'd say, Randy, how are you doing today? He'd say, marvelous. Every time I'd go in, I'd ask Randy, how's it going today? Marvelous. Well, Randy's life has not been easy. Sitting in a wheelchair, he developed an abscess in his tailbone. It went to the bone. So he spent a year ago, he spent a whole year, or almost a year, at the Veterans Hospital in Denver trying to get that infection cured and some several surgeries and all of that. And he was able to come home last fall. The abscess came back, the infection. Randy is now, again, he's been for about the last three months back in that veterans' hospital in Denver. And when I call, by the way, put Randy on your prayer list, but when I call Randy on the phone there in Denver, I ask, how's it going, Randy? What do you think he says? Marvelous. He says, I got to talk to two nurses today about Jesus, and you know, some of the other guys here, you know, uh, is slow, but, you know, they're coming along. He says, God's in control, and I guess this is where I'm supposed to be for the time being. You know, I would have a hard time being Randy. How many of you would have a hard time being Randy? But you know, Randy understands this. Contentment is not uh, not found in, in our circumstances. Contentment is found in seeing God working in your circumstances. Number three. Contentment is not found in social status or in the things of life. By the way, you'll notice I put a number of verses after each of these. I'm not I never have intended on reading all these to you. I'm leaving them there for you to look them up on your own during the week in your Bible study. But in Ecclesiastes 5:10 it says, "He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity." I want you to think for a moment about those in the culture and in the world who have fame and fortune. Many celebrities are frustrated, miserable, and have miserable family lives. Look at their kids. Their lives are full of divorce, drugs, alcohol, And an amazing number commit suicide. I started making a list of all the famous and wealthy people uh, that have committed suicide that I can remember. And the list is this long. Of course, one of the more, one you'd be most recently familiar with is Robin Williams. How many of you know who Henry Winkler is? Henry Winkler. How many of you know who Fonzie is? Okay. Henry Winkler played Fonzie on Happy Days. He went on to be a Hollywood producer and director, and he's been very, very successful at the trade. Uh he was being interviewed by Barbara Walters on what he really wished for. He said he answered in two words. Inner peace. Inner peace. Highly successful in Hollywood. What does he want? Paraphrase Contentment. A millionaire committed suicide in New York City. The police found two things in his pockets, $30,000 cash and a note. The, the letter read in part this, I've discovered during my life that piles of money do not bring happiness. I am taking my life because I can no longer stand the solitude and the boredom. When I was an ordinary workman in New York, I was happy. Now that I have millions, I'm infinitely sad and prefer death. Contentment is not found in social status or the things of this life. Number four, contentment is destroyed when you measure yourself by society standards, by looks. Maybe you've heard me say this. I used to tell my daughters this. Pretty is as pretty does. I had another thing I used to tell my daughters. Girls, you're very pretty now. But you know by the time you hit 60, you're either going to be a prune or a raisin. We change, don't we? We change. So you better have something on the inside because the outside changes. By the way, I'm not insulting anybody. We men become prunes or raisins. I'm a prune. Okay? (laughs) And uh, the bottom line is the world has fame. It has fortune. It has fun. That only lasts until you come home from vacation. Sometimes you fight on vacation. It has, the thing now is drugs or complete sexual freedom. Anybody, anytime, anywhere. And what does that produce? Misery in the end. An early church father said this, I am always content with what happens. For what God chooses is better than what I choose. Number five. Contentment is killed by envy, jealousy, selfishness, and covetousness. Envy, I want what you have. Jealousy, I don't want you to have what I have. Selfishness and covetousness. And that... That defines our culture. We live in a culture full of envy and jealousy and bitterness and blame and victimhood. If it wasn't for them, I'd have that. It's not fair that they have what I don't have. They have more money. They have more power. They have more influence. They have more respect. They have a bigger house. They have a nicer car. They have a more prestigious job. the only reason I don't have them is there has to be somebody to blame. David Grayson said, "Joy of life seems to arise from a sense of being where one belongs. All the discontented people I, I know are trying to be something they are not, and to do something they cannot. Contentment is not found being someone else, but in being the person God made you to be." By the way, I don't think it's fair. I have never been approached to join the NFL or the NBA. I could blame it on somebody else. It's ageism. They tell me I'm too old. It's ableism. NFL says I'm not big enough, and the NBA says I'm not tall enough. I could blame it on racism. I fit the proverbial guy that can't jump. I can blame somebody else. But the fact is, that's not who God made me. God didn't design me for that. God made me to be who... He made me to be and placed me where He wanted me to be with my strengths, my weaknesses, with the good times and with the difficult times. Number six, contentment is found in trusting God for your future. A lot of good passages there, but in Hebrews, we trust God. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may uh, we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid uh, what man will do to me. As I've said uh, many times, and uh, one of my sons is here with his family over the weekend, and we were talking again, my kids always say that, the biggest blessing that God gave to our family is that the first Several years, many years in ministry, we were poor. And you define poor, we were. We didn't get paid much. Um, Why is that the biggest blessing? Because we had to learn to trust God. We became a family that prayed together. We became a family that would see God deliver often at the last possible moment. But right on time. We learned we could trust God for the future. We didn't have to worry about tomorrow. Because God was in the tomorrow. Just like He's in the today. Just like He was last year when we asked Him. Last week when we asked Him. You you can be content if you recognize God is in control. And finally, number seven... Contentment comes when we see when we rest in Christ's unceasing love, acceptance, and forgiveness. I struggled for a long time with my own inadequacies, not just inadequacies, but my own failures, my sins, my faults, and all of that kind of stuff. And I knew that the Bible said since I trusted Christ, I'd go to heaven, and I always thought God would reluctantly ma- let me in because... He promised he would, but I'd be in some back corner someplace of heaven. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you felt like that, but there are a lot of me's out there. When I came to realize and reflect upon how much God does love me, that God took a proud, insecure, self-promoting know-it-all me, he chose to work with me, while at the same time he worked through me. I don't know what he did, but it sure demonstrates love. It sure demonstrates love. But the greatest love is something seen in something else. Romans chapter 5. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the good guy. Is that what it says? Who did Christ die for? The ungodly. For one will par- hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows our flaws. He saved us from the penalty of our sin. And He's working to transform us. He loves us. So every time... I take communion. Even today, I'm there. I think this is how much He loves me. What's the message today? You can probably tell me. Be content being the person God has made you to be in the place that He's placed you to serve. Or if you want it really, really simple, uh, be the flower God made you to be, bloom where you were planted. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you that you're with us every step of the way, that you've made us who we are, Lord, you've made us for a particular niche in life that you place us in difficult circumstances to represent you, can often make a change. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.